One of the things that authors are really challenged with today is how do they publicize their book? How do they get the word out there, not only to an audience that doesn't know them, but even to the audience that does know them? Hey there, my name is Stephen Campbell, and you're listening to The Author Biz. This is the show that provides you with tools, strategies, and inspiration you can use to confidently and efficiently manage your author business, leaving you with more time to focus on the important work of writing. This episode is brought to you by the Author Biz Back Office. You've got the talent needed to write the next great book, but you may need some help with some of the technical details of building your online platform. If so, call on your back office team, the Author Biz Back Office. You can learn more at theauthorbiz.com slash back office. Well, we are back from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I've got to tell you, we had a great time up there. The weather was cool, beautiful, so it was nice to have some cool weather, and I have never been in an SEC football city, college football city, during football season on a game day. And it is crazy up there. Tennessee, their color is orange. And everywhere I went on Saturday, everyone was dressed in orange. Everybody had their UT gear on. And it was just a all Saturday long party. So it was interesting. I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, where football is pretty important with Ohio State, but I think the people in the SEC may take it to a different level. All right, we've got a good show today. It's sort of a combo show. It started out as a case study of how Paul Bishop and Mel Odom developed an idea for a book that they'd like to read. And four years later, that idea has grown to a series of 45 books written by multiple authors. But things took sort of a surprising turn after the interview was over. Paul and I were chatting about his latest novel, Lie Catchers, and what he was doing to promote the book and drive sales. That's when things got interesting, and I flipped the recorder back on to capture what Paul was doing. So that's what I mean by a combo show. We've got the case study, and then we've got a little bit of marketing at the end. Uh, the, the bit at the end is completely unedited, un anything. It was just an off-the-cuff uh, lesson, really, on how to market your book to the various tribes we all belong to. I think you're going to find that very interesting. So be sure to stay tuned all the way to the end. I hope you enjoy the show. As always, you'll find show notes at the AuthorBiz website, which is www.theauthorbiz.com. Now let's get going. Paul Bishop, welcome to the AuthorBiz. Thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate you having me here. It's a pleasure to chat with you again. We've chatted a couple times. Uh, we've got an interesting topic today. You and uh, a business partner, Mel Odom, put together what you refer to as an author's collective to do a series of books called the Fight Card Series. I find that entire process to be interesting, and I thought that would make a great episode for the author biz. So let's uh, first give listeners a little sense of what the Fight Card Series is all about. Well, it all started with a phone conversation between Mel and I. Mel's very uh, extensively published. He's got over 200 books to his name. And, and uh, he and I were talking back and forth. And, and both of us love the old pulp stories from, from back in the day, the old pulp magazines. And a conversation from there went off on a tangent to our favorite types of pulp stories. And, and both of us love the old boxing stories, which used to dominate the sports pulps. Mm -hmm. 
in particular, Robert E. Howard, who created Conan the Barbarian and many others, that's what he's known for, mm-hmm. he had a series of boxing stories that he thought were his best writing by his own admission. And these were his boxing stories about Sailor Steve Costigan. And they usually ran, you know, 2,000, 2,500 words, and, and they were just punchy, short stories, written in one or two sittings, and, and have a laugh and a little bit of excitement. And so we were kind of bemoaning the fact that um, there weren't those stories anymore. There was really no place for the 25,000-word novella. And then both of it at the same time went silent, and we just realized, well, with the advent of ebooks, we could do this. It's, you know, there's a whole new landscape out there. Now, this was three years ago. So we decided, okay, let's do this. We're all excited. And and, uh, we said, well, just do a couple just for fun. So uh, we devised this idea that the fight card stories would be set in the 1950s. And the key was that the stories had to resolve around boxing. If there was a mystery, it had to be solved by boxing. Everything had to be solved in the ring. It didn't have to be about the heavyweight championship of the world each time, but it could be about a guy fighting for the hand of a girl in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, Say that five times fast. I can tell you're from California. Yeah, there you go. So um, we decided that we we created these characters, two brothers, orphans in Chicago who were taught uh, the sweet science by uh, battling uh, uh, Father Tim, the battling priest. And uh, one becomes a Los Angeles police officer trying to make a detective, and the other becomes a merchant marine. So I go away. I write my story called Felony Fist, and Mel goes away, and he writes his story called Cut Man. And then we came together, and we launched them on Amazon with covers by a friend of, of, of Mel's, um, uh, Keith Birdsong, who is a professional New York cover artist. So we put those out there, and, you know, they were, they were good. We liked each other's stories, and we thought that was the end of it. And then all of a sudden... Some of our writing friends read them and went, hey, these are really cool. Can we do one? Now, there, you, you left a part out of the story. These <laughs> okay. were not written by Paul Bishop and Mel. Oh, they were written by Paul Bishop and Mel Odom, but that wasn't the name on the books. No, no, thank you. Um, we, we decided that uh, if we were going to have unity and tie the two books together, that we would use a pseudonym. Uh, we wouldn't be something we had hide behind. It was a known pseudonym. But if people looked up Jack Tunney, which was the pseudonym that we uh, uh, decided upon a mashup of Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney, mm-hmm. our two favorite fighters, um, that they could find both of our books. And then when we put them out in paperback through Create Space, uh, we would put our own names on them if we wanted to give them to all of our relatives and stuff like that. So, again, we did this just as a labor of love. So Eric Beatner, who uh, has since come to uh, rather critical prominence, um, he comes on board and he says, I want to write one of these. And we went, oh, okay, well, how are we going to do this? Because Mel and I don't want to handle a whole lot of money. We're not a publishing company, right? We don't want to do books and all that kind of, you know, keeping financial Yeah, books. so let, let's stop here. And, and this uh, that's, that's a key point. You're not a publishing company. You didn't want to be a publishing company, yet you, you've still been able to do that. So that's what makes this story so interesting. So I just want to interrupt and just make sure that's perfectly clear. Now go ahead. So uh, Eric comes on board and he writes a a novel called Split Decision. That takes off with some buddies of his. And what we had decided to do was that, as Mel and I had done, each of us launched the books off of our personal Amazon platform. That way the monies went directly to the authors who wrote the books. There was no hands in the till anywhere else. You just launched your book. 
And again, we were doing this as a labor of love. So I edited, uh, both Mel and I edited Eric's book for free. Mm-hmm. And, and Keith Birdsong did a cover for free. And, and we, you know, I said to Eric, okay, you know, you got to pass this along. So whoever comes in next, you've got to help out with the process. Oh. So Heath Lowrance, Terrence McCauley, a bunch of other guys uh, started to, to write these for us. And we started putting them out once a month. And one of us would do the editing. One of us would do the formatting. We'd get a cover either from Keith or, or a couple of other, uh, uh, Carl Yonder, David Foster, a guy down in Australia. Now, when you say one of us would do the editing, one of us would do this or that, that's, that's moving down the line, right? It's not you or Mel. It's, it's moving down the line? I, I, I actually did the first edit on almost all the books, but okay. that was, that was my, my way of keeping control over everything mm-hmm. um, because I needed to make sure that the books fit with what we wanted. There, there are a number of people, good guys, who don't understand what PG-13 language is. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and also, you know, we, did, we decided no overt sex in the books, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things. We wanted to mirror the old pulp stories. And I needed to make sure that all of them tied into boxing. And as we went along, as we went through the first year and we, we had these 12 books, um, now we've got 12 authors who are all help, helping each other out with promotion and things like that. David Foster was a huge help. Um, David lives in Australia, and through the you know the miracles of email and, and Dropbox and everything else, we did things back and forth. He's a graphic designer. He helped uh, design the interiors of the books. And again, nobody's getting paid for any of this. When your book comes out, whatever you make back off of your book sales comes directly to you through Amazon. So at that point, uh, we had done all these stories set in the 50s, and that was kind of our guidelines. And Terrence McCauley had done an award-winning novel called uh, Prohibition about a, uh, uh, a gangster uh, um, bodyguard who's an ex-boxer and, uh, back in the 1920s. And he said, I really want to write the prequel to this book as a boxing story, how he becomes an ex-boxer. And I'd love to do it through Fight Card, but... You know, you guys are stuck in the 1950s. And I went, no, no we're not. <laughs> I went, I want that book. And, and so, you know, we opened it up, and I all of a sudden had an, an epiphany, right? If we're going to push this, I knew some guys that were writers that were involved in the mixed martial arts field. And so I went to those guys and said, here, look, this is what we're doing with Fight Card in the 50s and now the 20s. I want to start an offspring of this called Fight Card MMA. And all of a sudden, we had up-to-date mixed martial arts stories that we were bringing into the fold. And these guys were writing just some kick-butt books. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And again, all of, all of this was, was uh, continuing on. And, and we're now into our, uh, our second year, right? We're still on a month, uh, uh, month-to-month uh, publishing uh, schedule, and we're keeping up with it. And we had an author friend of ours who was very ill. And his family needed uh, some some financial aid, and we all talked about it. And we went, you know what? Let's do a charity anthology of fight card stories, and we'll launch it off a this author's um, own Amazon website. And that way, any money that comes in will go to him and his family. And we ended up doing two charity anthologies with all kinds of people involved. So we had like 10 stories in the first one, 15 stories in the second one. And again, that money directly went to the charities that they were set up to to profit. Now, mm-hmm. how much profit, I don't know, but, you know, this is all relative at this point. 
So here we are. It's now 2015, and um, not only have we done Fight Card MMA, we've done Fight Card Romance, if you can believe it, where I had a, our first female author who was a romance writer. I actually read that one and, and, and very much enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she wrote that on the slide. She's actually a part of a writer's group here that I mentor, and she, she knew about Fight Card, and she started writing this on the slide, and she brings in the first two chapters uh, without telling me on uh, <laughs> one of our meetings and starts to read it out loud. And I'm going, wait a minute, what is this? And so, I, you know, we're going to tap into the romance market. And, and then I had another epiphany. I said, uh, let's do Fight Card Sherlock Holmes. Everyone else is doing Sherlock Holmes. Everyone Why else not? Is doing Sherlock Holmes. And I knew exactly the guy I wanted to go to to, uh, to do that. And uh, so I contacted Andrew and I explained to him what I wanted. And he was like all over this thing because he'd already done some research finding out how Holmes was involved in the boxing world. Well, those Sherlock Holmes fight card stories have become our bestsellers. <laughs> and we have the third one about to come out this December. So it, it's, it's been a wild ride. I mean, there were days that I was uh, Skyping with Australia in the er, wee early morning hours. I was talking to people in Spain the same day, Ireland, uh, East Coast, West Coast. Uh, I was having a ball. And I, as an author, my biggest reward is I'm learning a ton of stuff by editing everybody else's work. Mm-hmm. And it's making me a better writer as I go along. Um, I wrote a second book in the, ser- in the Fight Card series called Swamp Walloper, which was my sequel to Felony Fist. A couple of the other guys liked it so much that they also wrote um, two or three books in the series. And at this point, I think we're, you know, we're three years into this. We've got 45 titles published, including the anthologies. And we're probably going to be winding down after December with our last um, Sherlock Holmes fight card novel, basically because a lot of guys that participated in this have really exploded in their careers and are moving along. And we all have, you know, other places to go and do. Um, you know, I've got a sequel to uh, Light Catchers, which I know you read, um, due in April, and uh, I can't get behind on that schedule. So um, we've had a blast, and it's been an author's cooperative. Everybody getting along well together, no fights, no money issues, and it's just been a totally different paradigm to anything else I've ever known in the publishing world. Why did this work? Um... I think that authors, by their very nature, um, are goodwill towards each other. And so when they realized that they were getting help from somebody else, we didn't really have anybody who turned around and said, well, I'm not going to help you. Uh, everybody said, oh, okay, this is cool. Yeah, I can do this. I can promote this. I can, I can do the editing. I can do the formatting and or covers. I, it was just the right time with the right people making the right effort with the right project. And we got this really cool uh, response. And, and the right two guys who came up with the idea who were, were, not necessar- who were not at all looking to make money from this. You, you each wrote a book, or you, you wrote two yeah. books. Uh, Mel wrote one book, and you got the money from those books, whatever that amounted to. But the rest of it was just sort of as a way of... I guess giving back and and helping to further some other careers, which is admirable. But from a business standpoint, other than making you a better <laughs> writer, um, you didn't make much money from this, and it took a, a great deal of time. If you were to do it over today, would you do it the same way? I, I have to say, I I would. Um, basically, because the rewards of it, I, I have 
made some lifelong friendships with the guys that I did this with. And that, to me, is worth more than any amount of money that, that we could possibly come up with. And I, and I, and I, think, uh, I think to the future, uh, when we're all dead and gone and, and somebody digs up a treasure trove of these pulp novels, because we they're all published in paperback as well, and all of a sudden the series is absolutely going to get its due for what it is. Uh, I thought, you know, how many stories can we write about boxing? 45 stories about <laughs> boxing. You know, you've got to say the same thing over and over again, don't mm-hmm. you? I have to tell you, every character is different, every story's been different, every approach has been different, and every single book's been resolved in the boxing ring. And it's just been an amazing journey. Now, if someone's out there listening to this saying, this is interesting and I've got an idea, I'd like to do something kind of similar. How much time did this actually take from you over the course of the three years? Not cumulatively, but you know, over the course of a month, how much time did you spend on this? I probably spent 10 to 15 hours a month uh, doing this stuff. I mean, you're realizing the stories are just 25,000 words. Right. So, and most of the guys I was dealing with were really, really good writers already. So they turned in manuscripts that were almost you know, very, very clean to begin with. There were a couple that I struggled with. There were a couple that needed some extensive rewriting, and those took a little longer, but I really helped those authors, I think. But for the most part, it was, it was, a, it was a breeze. Uh, this stuff just came easy to me, and uh, like I said, 10 to 15 hours a month, and we kept getting the books out. I mean, I talked to people about it probably on a daily basis, but that was fun. You know, it's interesting. You say 10 to 15 hours a month, and I'm sure there are people out there listening that think, wow, 10 to 15 hours a month, that's a lot to give to something where you're not making any money. I mean, I, I spend way more time than that every month on on this podcast, and I'm not making any money from this. Right. So, yeah, I, com- I completely understand the idea of doing this for the betterment of the writing community it it makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense did you give any thought to how you might do it differently if there were some sort of a need to pay an editor or to pay yes. a cover designer and yes. if so how would you do it um we actually participated with a university's um uh publicity and promotion program where students were looking for a summer project um and so they took the fight card dynamic as it was, our website, which is www.fightcardbooks.com. And for six weeks, these young people, um, you know, who were the brightest in their class, came up with a business plan for fight card to turn it around and make it into a proper publishing endeavor that would make money. And um, they did that, and they presented it to me and, and to, to um, another one of the writers in a, in a, in a two-hour session uh, on Skype. And we went back and forth, and they sent me the plan, and it is a beautiful, workable plan that, quite frankly, I didn't want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. It was not what I wanted to do as a writer. It was becoming a businessman. You know, taking a percentage of the other author's rights and all that kind of stuff. And I understood the, the concept, and I understood it would work. I just didn't want to do it. Um, this was a labor of love, and I really didn't want to sully it. So it can be done. You can make money at this, but you got to have a good business head, and that's got to be your goal. That wasn't what the goal that Mel and I started out with. The goal that Mel and I started out with was to have fun. 
and that's exactly what we did. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I, uh, I I really admire what you guys are doing with this. I've read, I wish I could say that I've read all 45 of them. I think <laughs> I've read four, including at least one of yours, and uh, I, I've enjoyed them all. I, I, I was not around during that time when people were reading these short pulp boxing books, so I'd never read one before, but uh, it, it's an engaging, it, it's fun to go back into time like that and, uh, and spend some time with interesting characters, and the way you guys did it with the shared author name and the same character sort of rolling through or characters sort of rolling through a number of the books was pretty cool. Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I'm probably the only person on the face of the planet that can lay claim to reading all 45 books. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we everybody has, has really had a good time doing this, and I appreciate you letting us share this because uh, it was something that remains important to us, and, and so thank you. All right. Before you go, you mentioned Lie Catchers, and, and you mentioned that I'd read it. I want to let people know this is, you published this fairly recently. It is one of my top five books of the year, and as people may or may not know, I host another show called CrimeFiction.fm where I read a ton of crime fiction. I love this book, and I can't wait for the next one. It is, it, it, it's really a special book, Paul, and you've created some great characters. So. Well, thank you, and, and there's no boxing in this one. It's all police procedural <laughs> stuff and interrogation, which is my new niche. I, I don't think anybody has really delved in the world of interrogation before, which is my specialty from, from my real-world day job. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I brought to Light Catchers, and that's why it's caused so, so much uh, um, publicity and, and critical response is because it's something different. So we're going back down that road again. <laughs> All right. So again, for people that are interested in the Fight Club and want to learn a little bit more about that, they can go to that website, which is fightcardbooks.com. And your website is paulbishopbooks.com, correct? Correct. Thank you very much. I will link to both of those in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. That was part one of our combo episode. One of the really cool things about doing this show is the pre-interview and post-interview conversations that I get to have with some of our incredibly talented guests. I always learn something from those off-the-record conversations, but this bit was so good, I decided to flip back on the recorder and then ask Paul later if he'd mind if I shared it, and of course he was more than willing to do it. So here's part two of this combo episode. One of the things that authors are really challenged with today is how do they publicize their book? How do they get the word out there, not only to an audience that doesn't know them, but even to the audience that does know them? And I got thinking about the word tribes and how it's applied. And today, currently, it's it's a good catchphrase the hipsters use. And it kind of applies to each of the groups that we belong to or different tribes. Mm-hmm. So I started to add up all the different tribes that I'm part of, be they, you know, police, which is definitely a tribe, um, you know, uh, church people, uh, writing people, and and I I ended up with about 10 or 15 different tribes that I'm a part of, different groups of people with different goals that I'm involved with, and I realized that I'm the only thing that these tribes have in common. Mm -hmm. So I started to think, well, I want everybody in each of these tribes to know I published my new book, Lie Catchers. Um, Because there's people in each of those groups or tribes that will buy my book, A, because it's me, and B, because it probably will interest them if I can target it to show them why they should be interested in it. 
So I took a, a different approach and I, I looked at each one of the groups that I'm involved with and I said, okay, how can I take lie catchers and target either a group email or a, a tie-in article in a publication that's going to reach this particular audience, that's going to show them not only that lie catchers is available, but why they need to buy it. Mm-hmm. And it was different for each group, but we're still talking about the same book. So obviously with, with a, a police group, I, you know, like there's American Police Beat magazine out there, which is the largest circulation magazine across the nation for law enforcement. So I approached them and said, hey, can I write some articles for you guys about police stuff? And they said, yeah, keep them to 500 to 800 words, and we'd be happy to do that. So I targeted interrogation articles, how-to articles about interrogation, which, again, is, is what I do and what lie catchers is Yeah, about. ties in perfectly with right. lie catchers. And, and then the end of that is, hey, if you want to know more about this, here's the classes I teach and read lie catchers because this is what lie catchers is all about. Then I took uh, a church uh, um, web publication that uh, Meridian Magazine that, that again, is one a huge circulation. And I wrote an article for them. I'd written articles for them in the past, so I had a relationship. But how to write with church standards. In other words, how do you keep the sex and the language and all of that under control in this modern world and still produce an interesting book, which is what I did with lie catchers and, and has been commented upon. There's no profanity in there. And I've had people say to me, wow, I, I noticed you didn't use any profanity. And I went back through the book and looked why you didn't. And what you did instead made the book so much better. And, you know, so, you, you mentioned that. It's interesting. It was like a couple days later when it occurred to me that there was no sex in the book. And I, I, did, it, I didn't catch the no swearing, but it's it just so unusual to read a book like that where there's, there's no sex or even hints at sex. But there's a lot of story. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and there's a yeah, lot of oh, other yeah. stuff that ties you to that book. Um, so that was a way of getting to that audience. And then I, you know, so every different audience um, I targeted specifically to reach out to, to not only make them aware of the book, but again, to, to make them understand why they needed to read this. Why okay, so let's, let's, let me ask you a couple questions. Um, and, and we're recording again, so uh, don't be surprised if this shows up at the end of the interview or as, as something else. Um, but but you're, you're being very strategic about this. You've identified these half-dozen tribes, figuring out where to write for the police beat thing. That's, that's easy. Uh, you're right. a cop. You understand that the church thing maybe was easy for you. Uh, maybe it wasn't. You said you had a relationship with them already, and and maybe yeah. that's because you've been strategic in the past. But beyond that, I'm I'm. How do you how do you stretch the idea of this book into different uh, additional different groups that you're able to target? Because that's it's it's not something that's just simple. Okay, so. Um, I'm a, a huge uh, fan of lounge music and jazz. Okay. And so I'm involved in, in, in several groups with that. And in fact, the radio station, uh, internet radio station, uh, martiniinthemorning.com, which is all standards all the time by Michael Bublé and, and, and modern people doing the old standards. Um, I've had a relationship with them for a long time. So I said, look, I actually mentioned uh, Martini in the Morning in Lie Catchers. You guys need to have me on the radio and an interview with you guys so that I can tell you all about it. And the next thing you know, I'm doing a two-hour interview on Martini in the Morning, reaching out across the world to all of their listeners 
who now know me, know that I've written Light Catchers, know that Martini in the Morning is part of this. And, all and that a, you're a member of the tribe. Yeah, that I'm a yeah. member of their child. You oh, know? This is that, yeah, genius. You know, um, and then, uh, uh, you know, the audiobook forums. Um, I, I listen to a tremendous amount of audiobooks. I mean, at two or three a month. And, and so I reached out to those forums because Lie Catchers, at the same time it was published, Radio Archives did this just absolutely brilliant recording of Lie Catchers. And so now I can come into them and say, look, I've got a couple of free downloads for Lie Catchers. You know, I've got a little contest going. Why don't you guys, you know, come in, give this a try and spread the word, right? I'm more than happy to give you a free copy of this, print reviews, honest reviews after you listen to it, and we'll go from there. Um, used bookstore scavengers. Uh, you know, I uh, we have a big used bookstore in Ventura where I uh, live here uh, called uh, Bank of Books, and they have a newsletter. So I said to those guys, hey, can I come up and do a local signing? Sure, yeah. Well, what about your newsletter? Can you put me in your newsletter? Well, yeah, we'll do an interview with you in our newsletter. So now all of a sudden I'm into the used bookstore market. Um, Film noir fanatics, that's another thing for me. So, you know, I, I approach them and say, look, here's some edges of lie catchers that you guys might see that nobody else will. There's some Easter eggs in there for film noir people. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Let's read lie catchers. Um, so all of this on and on was my way of reaching out to that. My boxing fans, soccer fans, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm involved in all of those areas, and, and I still talk to them. They know me as part of their group. But now they also know me as a writer. Um, Left-handed serial killers is another group I belong to. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whatever it is, um, it was tailored directly to them. Now, how did I find this out? Yes. Uh, trial and error. Um, I sent out the same newsletter to everyone in my various tribes um, whose email addresses I had stolen and put into one big MailChimp list, right, mm -hmm. which is the way things are doing, right? The response was absolutely tepid. It went under 50% opened, under 50% click-throughs, and I don't even want to talk about the percentage of books that that effort actually sold. Mm -hmm. But once I rethought the process and sent separate, slightly different, but specifically tailored email blasts to each one of my tribes, the response was significantly stronger. Not champagne results, but definitely mm -hmm. beer results. So lesson learned, targeting your tribes. Uh, specifically and separately, gets much better results in a one-size-fits-all approach. So once this kind of penetrated my Nathandriol brain and I began brainstorming specific ways to individualize my promotional approaches, you know, it, it, it just felt right. And, you know, uh, it, it was just a different approach. We're all looking for the golden thing that works, right? The next golden child right. of promotion. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the W uh, uh, mom said uh, uh, there, there, are, there are three ways to write a successful novel. Problem is nobody knows what they are. Well, that applies to publicity. There are three ways to successfully publicize a book. The problem is nobody knows what they are. Well, and, and what makes yours unique is that it requires some work. It doesn't. It's not a trick. It's not a scheme. It's. It requires the work of identifying the tribe that you want to approach, that you're a part of, understanding how the book relates to them, making the pitch, and and then doing doing the promotion. It's not easy. Why am I doing this podcast, Stephen? Aside from the fact that I like you and would do anything you ask me to, but why am I doing this podcast? This is another tribe that I belong to. Talking about publicity to authors is a way to get lie catchers into their 
brains. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard Paul talking about light catchers when he did that stuff about promotion on Stephen's podcast. Maybe I should go give it a try because everybody else is talking about light catchers. So it's all part and parcel. We do this in many ways subconsciously. We need, as authors, we need to start doing it consciously. How do we reach the tribes that we belong to? That's uh, that, that's great. I'm glad I turned the recorder back on, and I'm glad we started <laughs> chatting about this after we'd closed the first one. So this is a little Easter egg. Thanks, Paul. This was a fun episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, once again, show notes at theauthorbiz.com. And if you need any help with your the technical parts of your author platform, check us out at theauthorbiz.com slash backoffice. Thanks for listening.